Good morning, everyone. Um, you may have noticed we've been having a bit of fun this morning with our media um, going in and out. Um, for some reason, I was quite nervous today. Um, I don't normally get that nervous, but today I was quite nervous. And the Lord is good because he sent some major problems with the media that's taken up my mind all morning, so I haven't had to worry about this. Today, we are continuing with our teaching series about living a generous life. And this coincides with the season of Lent. I'm a little bit loud. Um, This Lent, we have been encouraging all of you to sign up to 40 Acts, which is run by an organisation called Stewardship. And their challenge to us is to engage with the season of Lent through the act of generosity. And so whilst we do that throughout the week, we are also continuing the theme here on a Sunday morning to help us think more about what it means for us to live generous lives. We are looking at generosity from a number of perspectives. We're looking at what it means to be generous with our gifts, by serving others, despite our feelings, and even when it hurts. And someone's just turned off the aircon. And then to finish up, On Palm Sunday, we want to invite everyone to respond in two specific ways. The first way, as Pete's already mentioned, is in the area of teams and the various teams that make this church happen, whether it's here on a Sunday morning or throughout the week at the various different ministries that we have taking place during during the week. We would like to invite everyone to reinvest themselves in a team or teams. Secondly, involves the building. As you may know now, we finished phase one at last. Yes, doesn't it look great? But now our focus needs to go on to phase two, which is about getting the lower floor ready. And with the significance of what needs to be done, we want to be far more intentional about inviting everyone to consider how they might help. In order to complete phase two, we are looking to raise the funds needed in stages. And so on Palm Sunday, we want to ask everyone to consider giving the equivalent of a single day's salary. And then we're going to ask if, we, if you could do the same again in September. Now, some of you may want to give less, and some of you may want to give more. And both is perfectly fine. But as we explore the subject of generosity, please come ready on Palm Sunday, having considered how you can use the resources you have to reinvest in our teams and our building project. It's all gone slightly awry. I'll just give the media team a little bit of time to sort that out. So, in previous weeks, Steve kicked off the whole series by talking about living with an eternal perspective. Ken then talked about being generous with our gifts. And last week, Anya talked about being generous by serving others. And if you've missed any of those talks, then please do go back and listen to them online, either via our podcast or the links on our website. How are we doing with the media? Okay. This morning, I'm going to be speaking about being generous despite our feelings. 
we're going to be looking at the idea of putting others before ourselves, regardless of them, their circumstances, position or behaviour towards us. I have to be honest, when Steve asked all of those speaking to pick a week and a topic, I picked this one fairly randomly. I thought I selected it based more on the week it fell rather than the actual topic. But this topic has had more impact on me personally than any other for a very, very long time. As I started to delve further into being generous, despite how I felt, I realized that it was speaking straight to me. It was God speaking directly to the core of who I am. And I realized that I still had a way to go in my discipleship journey with Jesus in this area. So perhaps it wasn't so random after all. God has a plan. Why do I tell you this? I tell you this to challenge you. I tell you this to encourage you. There may be stuff that comes up today that you may think, yeah, yeah, I've heard that all before and I'm pretty well set. I'm good. I felt and thought the same. Shown pretty much everything. Brilliant. Um, My challenge... My challenge to you is to really put a magnifying glass on your life. Can you honestly say that you are doing all you can do in this area? Please ignore the screams. My encouragement to you is that you're not alone. If you think that you have a long way to go, then be encouraged. We are all on that same journey. At different points, maybe, but still on the journey. You are not on your own. I really want to emphasize this point because what I'd want to encourage you to do is meet in a small group or or meet with two or three others who you can find yourself in an accountable relationship with. Because as we talk about stuff today, there's nothing better than having people alongside you to help you on that. And also remember that God is with you, helping you through the Holy Spirit. We're getting there. Right, let's get going. That was just the introduction, so I need to crack on. First, just let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that Jesus will be at the center of everything I talk about this morning and that through the Holy Spirit you will be in control and your will be done and that the media will get sorted. In Jesus' name, amen. So, let's go to our Bible verses this morning. For those who have been following the series, we've been working our way through Romans 12. And today we have three verses that, are really going, that we're really going to focus on. They are Romans 12, 14 to 16, continuing the Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Rome about love in action. If you have a Bible in some form, whether paper or digital, then please follow along. And for those that don't, we would have had the verses up on the screen. <laughs> but clearly not. How are we doing, guys? We're getting close? 
looks perfect to me at the back. If you want to have a look, it's, it's at the back there. Let me read it to you. Romans 12, 14, 16. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. If you really think about it, that is hard-hitting stuff. And it's completely countercultural, or in other words, against the prevailing culture, both to first-century Rome and to our culture in the West today. We're going to take time to, go th- time to go through each of these verses and see what they are saying to us today. First, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. If we were to sum up that verse with one word, then that word would be blessing. Paul doesn't say, bless those who are your friends. He doesn't say, bless those who have blessed you. Or even, bless those who haven't done very much to upset or hurt you much. No, Paul says, bless those who persecute you. One of the definitions of persecute is to subject someone to hostility and ill treatment. And that is certainly the definition that's used in this context. So Paul is saying to bless those people who are being hostile to you and ill-treating you. All right, truth time. Hands up all those who feel like blessing those who are hostile to you who are attacking you, who are ill-treating you. Not many of them. In fact, none. I couldn't put my hand up either. Even if we look at the other definition of persecute, as it is sometimes used today, which is to harass or annoy someone persistently. Do you feel like blessing someone? who is harassing or annoying you persistently? Maybe you've got a different view on what the word bless means. To bless someone means to ask God for divine favor for that person, that good things will happen to them, that things will go well for them. But Paul really emphasizes this point, not once, but twice, as he continues with the next verse, which is bless and do not curse. Now, some of you, when you think of the word curse, will be conjuring up images of witches around boiling cauldrons, double, double, toil and trouble, fire, burn and cauldron bubble. I know, like Beth. Look at me, I'm cultured. Or maybe... Even someone with a voodoo doll sticking pins into it. That's not what is meant by curse in this context. What is meant is not to even bear ill will towards that person. Can you do that? When I was preparing this, I was thinking, I don't bear anyone ill will. 
In fact, I'm not sure I'm persecuted by anyone in order to bless them. Do you know, the Holy Spirit has a sense of humor. It was at that exact moment that two words dropped into my mind. Road rage. (laughs) Oh, yes. Boy, did that open things up. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't turn into a monster with road rage. Esther might disagree. But I do get wound up a lot. A little like, are we all right with the picture, guys, or not? No. Okay, we'll crack on. If you could try and work to get that video working, that would be good. So, oh, we nearly had something there. Go back. There you go. That one there. I think that's what I imagine I look like. Esther thinks I look more like Homer Simpson, so who can tell? If I'm very honest, I may want those people who cut me up, do crazy driving maneuvers, or drive... uh, Excellent. Or drive at 15 miles per hour in a 40 mile per hour speed limit, I may want them to have a little ill will. At the very least, there have been more than a few times that I've wanted the police to appear, having observed what the other car did, and then book them, Dano. <laughs> Some of you, a little confused at the Hawaii Five-O reference might be a little bit old for some of you, but basically that the police would arrest them. But I can guarantee there has never been a time that I have felt like blessing the driver of the other car. I won't go into detail, but that was just the tip of the iceberg. The Holy Spirit started with road rage, continued to less competent colleagues and bosses at work. By the way, I don't work for the church, just in case you were wondering. And ended up showing all the times that I've not wanted the best for someone who has annoyed or harassed me. Is anyone else thinking, ouch? I certainly was. Before we move on, let me Go back to that word bless. To truly bless someone who has upset or hurt us, then that needs divine input. We need look no further, as you would expect, than Jesus for a template on how to behave. Luke 23, 34 says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. If you don't understand the context of that particular verse, this is when Jesus is being nailed to the cross. He has got nails being hammered through his wrists, through his hands, into the cross. And what he does is he shows compassion, not on the people generally around him, but on those same people who are hammering nails through his hands. We need help to bless those who persecute us. 
and we need to pray for them. But praying for people who have hurt us is even more difficult as it requires us to be honest with God about what's going on in our hearts. But at the same time, as we're being honest with God, he will give us the strength to bless and not to curse. We'll cover in more detail next week um, how to be generous to those who hurt us when, when Pete speaks about that very subject. I hope I've stolen a load of your, your material. Brilliant. Excellent. Tick. <laughs> One verse down, two to go. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Romans 12, 15. The word that summarizes this verse is empathy. Empathy is defined in the Oxford English Dictionary as the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. It is the ability to step into the shoes of another person, aiming to understand their feelings, their perspectives, and to use that understanding to guide your actions. When we rejoice with those who rejoice, or mourn with those who mourn, then we show empathy. In this self or me-centered world, having empathy for someone is not easy and can be quite difficult to understand. Hopefully we can be a bit better at empathy than Sheldon from the show Big Bang Theory. But how often do you truly take the time to understand how someone else feels? Or are we driven in our interactions and relationships with others by how we feel? On the face of it, when things are going well for someone, of course, it's easy to rejoice with those who rejoice. Or is it? I think sometimes we only have joy for someone who is celebrating as long as we feel like it. As long as what is being celebrated doesn't shine a light on any lack or deficiency in our own circumstances. There are many examples of this. But how easy is it to rejoice with someone who, for example, has had a baby when you're trying to, you've been trying to have a baby for a very long time? Or someone who has got that great new job that they love, even though you are desperate for any job at all, or you hate your job and are desperate to have a new one that you love. Or that person who's got that promotion at work, which you also went for, but didn't get. The writer, Gore Vidal, once said, whenever a friend succeeds, a little something inside me dies. His brutal honesty reflects some of the difficulty we may have rejoicing with others, especially when we ourselves are facing difficult times. This is where the Holy Spirit went to work on me again. I've always considered myself to have a great deal of empathy. I do a lot of coaching and mentoring in a professional and personal context, and so I'm used to putting myself in other people's shoes and understanding how a situation is affecting them. So I thought, tick, 
I'm good on this one. Then Holy Spirit reminded me about a close work colleague who recently got a promotion that I've been waiting for for the last six years. In fact, he is doing the job I used to do. I taught him everything I know. Granted, that didn't take very long. But then he goes ahead and gets a promotion. Now, this person is someone that I consider a good friend in the work context. But when he told me the good news, it felt like a punch to my stomach. Immediately, I started thinking, why does he get a promotion and I don't? That's not fair. Oh, poor me. I'm so hard done by. Now, although, honestly, all of this was internalized, he could tell I wasn't exactly jumping for joy at his good news. How unfair was that to him? He really did deserve that promotion. I should have rejoiced when he was rejoicing. Not a lot of empathy going on there. It seems like I'm good at empathy in some situations, rubbish in others, depending on how I feel. But the Holy Spirit is working on me, and I've since gone back and celebrated genuinely with my friend. The good news is we are more able to rejoice with others when our main source of joy stems from the hope that we have in Jesus. When we have that eternal perspective, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's often tough to keep an eternal perspective in the forefront of our minds, but when we do, it frees us up to experience the joy and sorrow of those around us without envy or bitterness. As well as having empathy with those in joy, we also should mourn with those who mourn. Standing with others in their sadness or difficulty is also important. It shows great relational and emotional generosity and can lighten a burden, reduce the sense of isolation and provide comfort. It shows true selflessness to regard another's emotions as if they are our own, to walk in their shoes. It means holding back on the advice that you may think they need, listening and imagining somebody else and imagining somebody else's situation and sharing in their pain. Feeling empathy is key to being generous. We may not feel like being generous ourselves because of our own circumstances. But when we aim to feel what others feel, then you will be amazed just how generous you can be. Okay. Last one. Still with me? Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited, Romans 12, 16. The final word we are looking at today, that summarize, and the word that summarizes this last verse, is humility. 
Tim Keller, the Christian pastor, theologian, and author, in his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, says this about humility. C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity, makes a brilliant observation about humility at the very end of his chapter on pride. If we were to meet a truly humble person, Lewis says, we would never come away from meeting them thinking they were humble. They would not be always telling us they were a nobody. Because a person who keeps saying they are a nobody is actually a self-obsessed person. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Humility is not needing to think about myself, not needing to connect things with myself. It is an end to thoughts such as, I'm in this room with these people. Does that make me look good? Do I want to be here? True humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself entirely. I love that quote from C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Verse 16 in Romans 12 starts off talking about harmony. In some versions, this is translated as of the same mind. Philippians 2, 5 to 8 describes the Christ-like mindset that promotes harmony amongst Christians. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So if Jesus loved others without discrimination of who who they are, how can we see anybody as beneath ourselves? Another possible interpretation of verse 16 is to do with being willing to perform lowly, menial tasks. In this too, Jesus, as you would expect, is our perfect example. Performing the act of a slave by washing the feet of the disciples in John 13. We live in a me-first world. It's the norm to put others down to improve our situation. But as followers of Jesus, it's not about bettering ourselves about lowering ourselves. Humility is the antidote. If we want to live in harmony with other people, we have to start with keeping our own minds open and teachable, learning from our own errors rather than pointing out others' weaknesses. We already have the love and acceptance of our Father God And when we understand the significance of that, 
It releases us from the pressure of having to prove to everyone else how much we are worth. Because to him, we are worth the very highest price he could pay. Before I end, let's bring this all back to living a generous life. I've talked about being generous in our relationships and in our emotions. We put this into practice by putting others before ourselves, regardless of their circumstances, position, or behavior towards us. But also, I want to link into what is happening on Palm Sunday. When we have the opportunity either to reinvest or to invest for the first time in one of our serving teams. When we serve, we won't always feel like it. Who really wants to get up an hour earlier so that they can be here on a Sunday to come and serve? But put yourselves in the shoes of those who end up doing it multiple times a month because there are not enough people on the rotors. We might also think that some of the serving opportunities are beneath us or think someone else will do it, it's not for me. Like helping by vacuuming up before the service starts or stacking chairs or standing outside in the cold. The weather's getting better now, but in the winter it's not too much fun. Or going around and picking up everyone's discarded coffee cups after the service. Let me just say something on that, guys. It's not difficult to pick your cup up if you come in with one and take it with you when you leave. I don't want to get on my hobby horse too much, but every single week we get bagfuls of coffee cups where people have just left them under their chairs. Please think about taking it out with you. So all of these acts of service may not be glamorous, but they are essential. But if Jesus, who is our Lord, our Saviour, and our God, can wash the feet of disciples as would a slave, then surely nothing can really be thought of as beneath us. One final thing. Today, as you may have realised, is Mother's Day. And when I think of what I've talked about today, it is clear a mother will do all these things for her child. They bless and want the best for their child, despite the severe persecution and annoyance that they inflict on them. (laughs) They show empathy to their child and try to understand what on earth is going through their minds. Mothers of teenagers know exactly what this is all about. And nothing is beneath them when it comes to their child. Humility is not an issue in relation to doing things for their children. This is why mothers are worthy of respect and honour. Now the challenge is to do those same things for others.